nobody's smart enough alone to just figure it out. Um, and every different perspective, um, you know, that is at the table, the better your outcome is going to be. Welcome back to Beyond High Street, everybody. David Schwab here. Today we sit with Schrades, Lisa Schrader. Lisa is a dear, dear friend. We went to Miami together, spent four years, spent a lot of time with her, and have followed her career closely since we've been out. Really interesting discussion. She spent 14 years working in City Hall for the city of Chicago, the last two of which as the chief of staff for, to Mayor Rahm Emanuel in Chicago. She's recently moved on to the corporate world, uh, a stint at Uber, and now with a new podcast business called Luminary Media. You'll want to check it out. The app goes live very soon, and, and she gets into it. But we spent a lot of the time on the, uh, on the call or on the podcast talking about what it's like to work in the public sector and what it's like to work for a mayor in one of the biggest cities in the United States as chief of staff and what time your day starts and how you're reacting to news stories overnight and having to alter your schedule and your message points every single day and the word public transparency and what that means. She credits a lot of her time and, and skill sets to starting in the budget's office to really understand how things are funded and how opportunities work. We talk about that a lot with having a, a degree of finance knowledge, uh, really important. And she shares some other feedback of, of things she learned along the way that's going to help her. We, we touch on a great four years at Miami and as she calls it, leading the double life of the social side, which was so important with her friends and sorority sisters, as well as even helping her friend, she calls her a cousin, get elected as student body president back when she was even a freshman and her time on the board of trustees and what she was doing really on an internship level, taking advantage of the four years at Miami. I hope everyone really enjoys the conversation. It was so great to catch up with Lisa. And we start the conversation talking again about what the daily life is like working as a chief of staff for a mayor. Everybody is a little bit different. Um, and, and for me, the first thing I do is check news. Um, without question, I, it was how I started my day for a long time. And certainly as chief of staff, um, you know, I had spent time in communications, um, you know, in my political career and even at city hall before I expanded into more sort of, uh, policy and, and management roles. Um, and so I started the day with the news. And it was, um, was that a good, like a Google tracker you had the night before that was populating your, your feed in the morning or were you searching around TV channels as we, well as internet and everything else? Yeah. So we actually, it was curated for me. Um, part of the, uh, mayor's press office staff, um, the, you know, the, the comm staff as we called it, um, and this was true for Mayor Daly too. You had um, somebody come in, um, you know, and as as things move digital, they didn't have to come in. They could do it from home. But around four in the morning, as TV um, broadcasts start, uh, we have somebody gathering clips. So you have a TV um, clip service. You've got, you know, you're pulling your online clips, um, and so we, you know, and we those clips would pop real time. So I, you know, you get an aggregated list in the morning and the evening, but as the stories, as they collect them and post them, they would be in my inbox. Um, so, you know, story by story, I'd have, you know, probably 
20 to 25 stories to read as soon as I woke up. For me, um, that was seven, um, which some might view as late. Um, certainly, uh, I tend to be a night owl. Um, I think that is sort of unusual in this space. Um, the, you know, Rahm Manual uh, is a, a prolific morning person, um, you know, wakes up pre-done, usually 4.30 by 5, uh, almost every day, um, swims his mile, gets his coffee, um, and so by the time uh, I'm sort of getting tuned up, he's, he's ready to go and talk. Um, and we usually, you know, started meetings in the office at 8.30, um, some combination, sometimes it was a substance meeting, sometimes it was just a senior staff meeting, getting organized for the day, um, and, uh, and, and that's how I started my day. And, and quite frankly, for, for, a, for a big city mayor who is standing up in front of uh, media taking questions usually twice a week, um, you've got to know everything that's been written because it's all fair game for um, his press avail you know, within the next one to two days because he does them usually every couple of days. Yeah, and part of the reason I ask, and I think that the role you have of chief of staff is unique to other roles. Obviously, it could be comparable to uh, the senior head of Corpcom or chief of staff of a, a global C CEO, but the fact that no matter the, how high of a level one gets, you're reacting day to day versus ha you know some people in those roles where they have the ability to think six months, 12 months, five years down the road, which you, do, which you have to do also, but just yeah. as important every single day, what you're saying, how you're saying it changes and it's altered just based on by a story that could be true, may not be true, may not be vetted, but you have to react to it because somebody down the street's going to ask the question. Correct. I think, you know, I think for every person who has served in, government, um, there's always, uh, the challenge of ensuring you keep your eye on the ball, um, or, you know, uh, in terms of your long-term goals and your principal's agenda that he or she ran on. Um, and so, you know, and that you carve out time to ensure those, those, um, priorities and those policy priorities are being driven forward. Um, and, uh, while not getting, you know, caught up in the sort of crisis of the day news cycle. But the reality is you have to do both. Mm. Um, and so for me, um, what one thing that it just, I had to do was leave time in my schedule to deal with those things. And so, you know, my support, uh, my EA would just block times. Those times would get eaten up by things that, you know, had, that the mayor needed or anything else, but just try to leave flex in the schedule um, to deal with whatever sort of was urgent that day. Um, you know, I think that every every elected official is different. Every chief of staff is different. You come to the role with sort of previous expertise, um, you know, uh, and and interest. When 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 Mayor Manuel ran, you know, he had a very specific agenda. Um, he was, you know, there were, you know, things that he, he was, um, ran on, uh, you know, commitments he made to the people of Chicago. Um, and that was to, uh, uh, you know, education was, was a big piece of it. I, the mayor believed and continues to believe that, 
education is a game changer in kids' lives, and that um, particularly in some of Chicago's more challenged neighborhoods, if we didn't give kids a, 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 a shot um, with, with a, an education that was, would put them on equal footing with kids everywhere, um, then we weren't doing our jobs. And so that was sort of education was sort of a North Star when he took office. Um, and, you know, two of his sort of marquee things was longer school day, longer school year. Chicago public schools had the Chicago public school kids were in, in class, uh, uh, for the, for the least amount of time of any major school district in the country. And he wanted to change that with that came political, with that came political challenges, which have been written about, uh, ad nauseum. I won't go into, but that was something we were able to change. Um, and, 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 and putting together, you know, and investing in things like STEM and magnet programs, um, and providing, you know, parents the options to, 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 to give their children the, the best shot at, at a, a strong academic future. So, so that was a North star, um, fixing the city's finances was a North star. We had not really recovered from 2008. Um, and so that, and we had a, a massive pension deficit that we're still, you know, starting to sort of climb out of, and we basically closed the gap, um, you know, considerably, if not almost, on, we're on a path to solvency. Um, and that took uh, an enormous amount of heavy lifting, um, negotiating with labor unions, um, but also just the sort of, uh, you know, the, the intellectual capital of a very strong um, economic team. Uh, and you've got to take it piece by piece. Um, and you've got to make difficult, you know, budget decisions um, that will um, fund the responsibilities we have to provide the services that residents need um, to meet our obligations to our employees and to our retirees, um, but to not overburden taxpayers. And so it's um, never an easy challenge, um, but, but the mayor came into the office with um, that was a, a strength of his. He was obviously chief of staff when, when President Obama took office and we saw, you know, the, the 2008, um, you know, collapse and he was there working on, you know, bolstering the auto industry and Wall Street and all the things that he did. So he came to the table with a particular skill. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, my history in City Hall had been in budget and finance. So that was something that we, both worked on and focused on together. Um, I also had a communications background, and I think, you know, most people know about Rahm Emanuel, that he's, um, you know, uh, a, a uh, well-known and prolific uh, political and communication strategist. Um, did it for President Clinton um, for many, many years. He was, uh, you know, started off doing campaigns and organizing. Um, and so, you know, that was something that he certainly cared about, um, but, you know, had, had a point of view on. Um, but sort of back to that press conference piece, I, I think it's hard for folks to understand when you talk about what communications means. Um, you know, when I spent time in private sector now, it's just, it's just, I can't, I can't explain how vast the difference is <laughs> in some ways between sort of private sector communications and working for an elected official because there's just not that, um, you know, first of all, you have a commit, you have a, an obligation to be transparent with, residents and with, with news media who are there to, to cover, um, you know, what the government is doing. Um, and, and, and you, um, and you have to be accountable. And so I don't, you know, most presidents don't take questions from the press twice a week. Most governors don't, um, you know, mayors do, um, at least in Chicago, they do. 
Um, and, you know, so we would have to prepare for that. And, and, you know, that is, that is no easy, um, easy feat. Uh, and you basically have to prepare for a wide variety of questions on any topic related to the city or beyond, uh, you know, just a, Hey Mayor, what did you think about, you know, X, Y, Z happening in DC, you know? Um, so, you know, that is a, uh, a, a unique and, and, and rigorous, uh, 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 process that you just have to go through if you're, when you're accountable to news media. And, you know, I think the news media is under attack, like they never have been before. We always, um, you know, you always have a, a, a vigorous debate, but at the end of the day, they serve a very, very valuable function. Um, you know, I became friends with a lot of the folks that we started with, you know, day to day, but that they're doing their job and we're doing our job and their job is critical and vital. Um, to, 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 you know, residents in Chicago and, and across America of, of bringing um, information that people deserve um, about their government. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. So if, if you take those 10 plus years, maybe even closer to 15 in City Hall yeah. working for the, the city as well as a couple years as chief of staff, what do you, what do you take away personally, personality traits, business skill sets, are there a couple things that leaving there, and you talked about private sector, which we'll get into here in a second, that you, you really now feel you've mastered or you had to go through it to really learn the practical aspect of it? Are there are a couple things like that? Yeah. So um, I think a couple of things, sort of takeaways that are really not particularly, uh, you know, <laughs> interesting or genius, but I just found them to be true. And, and very much table stakes important to know because if you if you don't know it then you're you're not going to succeed and one of them is um, you know you are never in it alone um, and I you know I've seen people when they become you know come into leadership positions um, not be elected themselves but think that sort of okay they're the boss and you know they need to kind of create a distance between themselves and the team and they've got to because they've got to be managing them and and at the end of the day, you do not survive in these environments that are incredibly high pressured um, and move incredibly fast if you are not in it with a team. And so to me, it was never, I'm chief of staff and I'm your boss. Um, I, I see myself as not to be tried about, but more of a player coach. I'm in it with you. We're in it together. And there's nothing, you know, you have to make decisions and you have to make decisions quickly and you've got to make a recommendation to the mayor but there was never anything of import that, that I would ever recommend to the mayor um, that I had not talked to, um, you know, my colleagues about and that we hadn't kicked around and talked about the upside downsides. I need their insight. I, I'm, you know, I'm not, nobody's smart enough alone to just figure it out. Um, and every different perspective, um, you know, that it's at the table, the better your outcome is going to be. Um, and so, you know, I was really, really fortunate to work with a really smart group of people who are talented and we could, um, pick around ideas quickly. Um, we could come to consensus and we could make a recommendation of the mayor and get it out. Um, you know, people talk about government being slow, like we can make a major policy decision, um, recommendation of the mayor. He could decide and we could have it on four TV stations in 45 minutes, you know, like that's that. Hmm. And, and so, um, you know, it's just really important that you know you're not in it alone. You have to, you need help. 
Um, and if you don't know that, then you're, you're not going to succeed. Mm. Um, that's one thing. Uh, I think that, um, you know, another thing I, I learned is that, you know, I had the, I had the luxury of working my way up through city hall. So I was sort of an expert in the rhythms of the building and the substance of all the different things that we did in government. You know, I started off in the budget office doing communications and I, it was really a gift to me because when you work in, in budgets, you have a little bit of knowledge about what every city department does or whatever government agency does. And so you get smart on, on their missions, on what they, what they spend their money on, which is, you know, the, the, the key to understanding what the priority is. Right. Um, and so, you know, I was able to come to, by the time, you know, Ron took office, I was, I had spent, you know, 10, almost 10 years in city government and, and knew it well in the, in the daily administration um, and was able to sort of, understanding the details, be able to take sort of a, a, a higher level, big picture perspective on it. But for somebody like me who really wants to know the details, um, when I've gone into a new environment, what I've learned is it's okay if I don't know them all. Because <laughs> um, sometimes that makes me uncomfortable. Um, and try to sort of keep a larger picture, strategic perspective on things. Um, and, you know, uh, the mayor, you know, Ron was very, very um, adept at, at, at strategy. Um, and so everything that you do, you need to understand what the impact is um, to people, to, um, you know, to different, you know, segments of the community, um, what it means for, you know, eight decisions down the road. Are we going to box ourselves in and not have the flexibility to do something else we want to do? And so, um, you know, keeping that sort of, bigger picture, strategic uh, objectives in, in, in the forefront of your mind is important um, and not to kind of get dragged down in the details, which I think I probably is my natural state and what I, what I, what I would do otherwise do. <laughs> I, given, given, the, given endless amounts of time, I want to figure out the details, right, and get smart. And you just have to sort of resist that and keep the big picture in mind. So before we talk about your new world now, um, which is very new, let's let's go back when you and I were in school together, and I'd say probably seen each other four, five, maybe six days a week up at Skipper's. <laughs> we could, we could, <laughs> so, somewhere, somewhere in that window, I think somewhere. But I'm I'm curious. That has been a lot of fun as I've done this, and I've asked people. What else did you do at Miami? Like, what, was there a professor? Was there another student? Was there a class? Was there a club? Because I think when yeah. you're when you're in school, you're friends with a lot of people socially, and you see them uptown or you see them at um, an off-campus house or fraternity, and you're not talking about the clubs and different things. It's only later in life when you recognize a lot of the similarities. Um, and some of the great things that came out of Miami for all of us. But curious what you were doing outside of the, the schoolwork and the fun times. Yes. So the, the, there were a lot of fun times and I, uh, and it's, and it's, it's fascinating to me, by the way, like when you, I was looking at the, the list of all of the folks you've interviewed and I'm, you know, aware of a lot of them. Some of them actually were new. Um, it's, you know, I feel like we, put a premium on sort of having fun at Miami, which in my belief, that's part of what college should be, right? Because that actually helps you navigate social situations um, in life that it's not just about partying, but we can talk about that later. Um, but it's always amazing to me, like the incredible 
things that Miami alums have accomplished. I actually have a friend who, um, from city hall who, who's like, you know, so I was like, God, you Miamians, like there's, I just feel like there's, there's a successful Miamian everywhere, you know, and you went to Notre Dame, you know, around the corner everywhere. And it's kind of true. But, um, so, so I think at Miami, I felt like I was almost living a little bit of a double life and that's, that's not to be, not in a weird way, but <laughs> I was very active. I was very active socially. Um, and I'll tell you why, why, I, why I mean that in a second. Um, very active socially. Obviously it was, you know, I was, I was, Greek, but I don't, you don't have to be to have a very active social life at Miami, that's much I know. Um, but I, uh, you know, I was an English lit and poli sci major. I will fully admit that I was not the best student, um, but I had some English professors that I really loved and some poli sci professors I really loved and, and, um, and still in touch with some of them. Um, and it was a real, it was a really um, great place to learn. But I was really active. I was very active in city in in, uh, in, in student government. So I was uh, I was actually at the time, and I'm sure it's happened since. But um, I got active in student government freshman year. Um, managed my cousin, um, who's not actually my cousin, but we grew up together. Our dads were best friends. Uh, Chip Skovic, who ran for student body president, our end of our freshman year. Um, I managed his campaign. Uh, and, and my, our, our big, uh, our big, uh, secret weapon was we, you know, Chip was a nice looking guy. We got like a photo of him and we put it on a flyer and we put it on the inside of all of the, uh, freshman dorm women's bathrooms. So literally <laughs> everybody was, every girl was like, Oh, that guy Chip, I saw him in the bathroom, you know? Uh, so, so it worked. So I did that and, and, uh, and then that I was, they were, the ASG, um, the student government leadership, and they were much older than me, and they kind of took me under their wing when I was a freshman, and they got to sort of nominate um, names for to, to, to university leadership to be student trustees on the board of trustees, and then, um, you know, the governor would appoint. And so at the time, I, was, I got appointed to the board of trustees, Miami's board of trustees as a freshman, and I think I was um, the only freshman they'd ever appointed. Um, and, uh, so that was a great honor. So while I was doing sort of all the things and seeing you uptown, um, I was also on the board. Um, and that was a really eye-opening experience. But the, the reason why I say double life, so the Miami students, um, did an article about me freshman year because I was the, only, the first freshman ever appointed. And, uh, and I think the article, I kind of, I, I have it in my file somewhere. But I think it started off saying, like, while most, you know, while most Miamians are closing out the bars in uptown at 2 a.m., like, you know, Lisa Schrader has more serious things in mind, you know, because she's got a Saturday morning board of trustees meeting. And my housemates got it. And they're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> you were up till 2 a.m. <laughs> and I was like, yes. And I was, like, scrubbing off the bar stamps to make sure, like, I looked presentable in the morning, you know. Um so, but it was a, it was an honor. Um, you know, I got to, you know, we are a state funded institution and I got to, you know, sit in on board meetings. We were non-voting members. Um, uh, but you know, sit in on the board meetings and, 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 you know, that determined how, you know, very precious university resources would be spent. Um, and, you know, met really interesting people, Joe Markham, who, um, is still with us, I believe, uh, was just an extraordinary man 
Um, and he was the chair of the board at the time. Um, and he and his wife lived down in Hamilton. They started Ohio Casualty Insurance. And he would invite um, uh, some of the student government folks and me to their house periodically for dinner um, in Hamilton. And we would go there, and he and his wife were very musical. And they would, after dinner, we'd have wine, and they'd bring out musical instruments, and we'd play. And it was just, like, so cool um, for a kid like me from Dayton, Ohio. Um, it was just really neat. And he was just a wonderful, wonderful man and human being. And, and then, you know, I had him for dinner at Lighthouse, our off-campus house, like that horrible, horrible <laughs> condition. And I made him... Uh, we set up a table in our main room and put a tablecloth on it. And I made like, I made fettuccine Alfredo. And I remember he sat down and he's like, this is so good. It's like, <laughs> it's better than what I got, what I got when I was in Italy serving in world war two. I mean, I remember him saying that. And I thought the reason I remember it, it was because it was so kind and so not true, you know? Uh, um, but, uh, so, you know, I was doing things like that. And in addition, the other thing I did is, uh, I don't know. In the in a 2019 world, it probably seems a little bit uh, uh, in politics for a woman to say, but I was a Chuck chick. So, and I was the first freshman that Chuck ever hired. Uh, so I was working at Chuck early, um, and I worked at the dining hall too. Um, a couple lunch shifts over at Ogden. Tokash so Shelley Tokash so got me. Michelle Tokash so was working over there with Jeff Conroy and a bunch of people. We had a ball. Um, so anyway, that's what I was doing besides seeing you uptown at Skippers. Um, I was pretty busy. And, and for the 18 and 19-year-old who have no idea, explain a Chuck check, explain that, what that was uptown. So Chuck was the original, like, 30 years, 20 years before they became uh, interesting. Chuck's was a food truck. Um, Chuck, Chuck was a, a, a hog farmer from College Corner, Indiana. Um, active in his church, had a beautiful singing voice, could sing like a bird. Um, and he wore sort of this, like almost like a, a mechanics, those, those mechanics zip up suits. You know what I mean? That's what Chuck wore. And he pulled his, uh, Chuck Burger truck into town, uptown and would park it on high street. Um, and he served pork burgers and Chuck fries, a couple other sides, uh, Chuck cheese, cheese these cheese sticks that were outrageously good. Um, I suppose like more like Monterey Jack cheese, but the Chuck fries had special seasoning that he would never give up the recipe. Pretty sure it was Lowry's with some sort of sweetness added to it. Outstanding out of this world. You can attest to it. Yep. Um, and the pork workers were delicious. Now I went vegetarian in 1994, but <laughs> I did, uh, but I did, I did uh, work at Chuck serving pork burgers and Chuck was a lovely man and he only hired women and they, I don't think Chuck named us that. I think the gals named themselves Chuck Chick, so I don't want to blame Chuck for, for that uh, term. Um, but it was the original food truck, and yeah. so as you know, people would go out of the bars at 2 o'clock in the morning and line up at Chuck's. Yep. Um, and, you know, you'd make decent tips. You know, I never, to be honest, I, I always asked for the Monday night shift because I didn't want to miss a night uptown working. <laughs> um, so... So I was, this Monday night shift was a little bit quieter. I was a Chuck customer on the weekend. Um, <laughs> so, so fast forward, but, uh, that's great. Yeah. That's the, some funny stories and we could relive it and, and talk for hours, which we should, but talk about, yeah. talk about today, 2019. And you've, yep. you've done, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time talking about 
your, your work in, in the city in Chicago, but there are plenty of other stints in there, I think, with a, some work with the yeah. DNC and Hill and Knowlton doing some strategy work and for Uber. But now you, mm-hmm. I think you've flipped completely into the world that we're talking about and the medium we're talking about in podcasts and audio right now. So what's new? Yes. So, so here's what's new. Uh, I left um, after Mayor Emanuel's re-election in 2015. Um, took a little time. Dropped out for a month. He actually asked me to come back and run the budget that year. Then I finally left for good in October. Went to Hill and Milton for about six months. They were incredibly good to me. Great, smart, strategic thinking people. And uh, and I, um, but but I had uh, a guy in Chicago who had been actually. Comps guy and Obama's comps person, um, and uh, when he was running against McCain in 2008, a gal who was running external affairs for Uber, um, who was McCain's comps person in 2008, um, asked them for a recommendation in Chicago, and so found me. And it was the first time I'd been at City Hall for 14 years, and I um, had only really been at at Hill Knowlton for eight months. But Uber called, and I felt like I needed to give it a try. I loved the product, so. Spent two and a half years at Uber doing, uh, you know, public affairs and government regulatory work, which is, you know, where the rubber meets the road for a company like Uber. We're locally regulated. Um, we had some cleanup to do reputationally. Again, don't need to go into that. Google, Google search will, will uh, inform you what you need to know, but um, found it to be a really um, uh, uh, welcoming team and the, 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 the work was invigorating. And, and I think what was best about Uber and what um, I didn't talk about at City Hall that I do want to mention was the what I loved about city government. Um, in addition to the pace and sort of the you know the 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 adrenaline of those kinds of sort of high high pressure high pace jobs, um, the ability to impact real people's lives in a real way. Um, you know, Rahm always said when I was a congressman, nobody grabbed me and asked me. Why did you vote that way on House Bill 1492? Because nobody knows what the hell Congress does. Um, but in when you're in local government, it's like my trash didn't get picked up. My kid's teacher isn't, you know, doing what I need them to do for my kid. Um, I have a pothole in the road or, like, I want to think about a new way for our neighborhood to do this. And so it's real stuff in real people's lives. And that's what attracted me to Uber because it absolutely... Um, is, is, is something that touches real people uh, in real ways every day. You're putting complete strangers in cars together and getting them from point A to point B. Um, and so all sorts of magical things can happen there. Um, sometimes some, there's some challenges with that, um, but I loved Uber's products. I loved the way that, um, you know, when my parents came to town, I didn't have to give them a number to a taxi company and hope they showed up. Um, I could get them to the airport efficiently and, and, and reliably. Um, and I loved in Chicago that, that, that Uber served every neighborhood. Um, taxis historically did not serve um, certain neighborhoods, and that wasn't right. Um, and so, anyway, Uber was changing the world, and it had changed the way I got around in my own city, and it changed the way that I got around cities when I traveled. Um, I could go travel to New Orleans and see a show at Tipitina's Uptown, and you get out at 2 a.m., and you'll wait for a taxi for 30 minutes, um, you order an Uber and you're on your way. Um, so, so I, I loved that. I loved the work. It was invigorating. We had, we had some challenges reputationally we had to deal with. Um, but the new leadership team under, under Dara, um, Kosher Shahi is just doing incredible work. And Rebecca Messina, who I know you've had 
um, on the pod, who is uh, now the chief marketing officer. You had her on when she was doing Beans and Tory. So, um, you know, there's, I'm really optimistic about Uber's future, and I just think it's, you know, one of the most exciting companies in the world. Um, so, there for two and a half years, and then um, got a call from uh, a, a company about a month ago um, uh, that was a very, very startup. I came to Uber very, really when but not public, you know, they were already like the world's largest startup. This is truly a startup. Um, and it's, uh, a startup in the podcast world. Um, and so, uh, it was funny when, when you call it, I said, maybe we should wait to do this for another week so I can talk about Luminary. Um, so what it is, and I've got, um, you know, my, my sort of friend and mentor is the chairman of the board. Um, his son is the CEO, um, and it is, uh, Matt Sachs is the CEO. Uh, and basically what Luminary is aiming to do, um, is to be, um, you know, uh, the podcast app of choice for, for, for everyone. Um, I think there are a lot of ways people are getting their podcasts, whether it's through Apple, you know, the Apple, uh, uh, app or, or Spotify or other things. Um, we want to be sort of better, you know, a, a better uh, user experience in terms of the app, um, but also offering uh, premium content that you can get on, on Luminary only. Um, and so I just think it's a really exciting space. I think this, uh, this medium is, is intimate and people are very um, connected to it and to the podcast they listen to in a way that um, is different than every other type of medium. Um, and so there's an intimacy to it and, and there's, um, there's a, a loyalty to it. Um, people really, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, believe in their and, and, and want to, you know, know their host and, and, and follow them and get the next episode. And, um, and so it's, uh, it's really just, it's an exciting space. Um, and so I'm kind of happy to be joined and I, this is my day, fifth day on the job. So, oh my gosh. so, so, so yeah. in, in my, in my quick research, tell me if this analogy is right, because it seems mm-hmm. like, uh, while some podcasts put some advertising up there, I don't, I don't, this is not for obviously any money that we should call Andy at skippers and ask him to give us at least some gift certificates Absolutely. for, for the, <laughs> every closing. But Yours, it, it feels like, is more subscription model, trying to get a bunch of great premium content a la Netflix. Um, is that... that that's, yeah. that's right. You've got, it, you've got it right. You did your research well. Um, so there, it's two things. It's really an app and a service. And so we want to be the best podcast app where you can get all the free content that's ad-supported mostly um, that you get now. But in addition, we're going to be offering... Um, a, a slate of what we believe are very, um, uh, uh, you know, unique uh, content creators um, that will be available uh, to, to, you know, to, to subscribers. And so, um, yes, that is the right, that's the right way to talk about it. The reality is the ad-based model, you know, all media is moving to subscription-based. Um, the ad-based model is not good for creators because it's, doesn't give them, you know, the flexibility um, to create great content, which is what we want to do. We want to provide them the resources that gives them the flexibility to create great content. And we want to provide listeners um, with the ability to get their favorite content uninterrupted. Um, 
And so that's the idea. And we think that, you know, there are, there are people, you know, there are some podcasts that where, where folks already support, um, and, and do pay, um, although the vast majority of them are supported except for this one, of course. Um, but, um, that's the idea. And, and we think, you know, we want to people, everyone in this company are huge podcast fan. We love podcasts and we want to, um, make it better, uh, a better podcast world for, for everyone. Um, and that means providing the investment in creators that, that they want, uh, that they need, um, and allowing users a, a more a seamless experience. So 2019, the goal for the year, uh, go find the best content out there or something else? So we've been, um, and when I say we, my colleagues um, have been at this for, you know, a year um, and going out and securing um, that, 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 that the, the creators and the content. Um, we are pivoting towards sort of Q1, Q2, um, actually sort of announcing who our, who our content creator partners are going to be and then launching the app and the, and the, and the, uh, the premium service. Um, so probably by, you know, by the end of Q2, it will be all out there. Um, and so that's really exciting. And it's part of, you know, what we are, we are pivoting now into a launch phase and that's part of the reason, um, there that I joined, um, I'm sort of head of operations and chief of staff and kind of helping make sure the team is, you know, everyone's talking to each other and preparing for, um, the launch and everything that that entails. Um, you know, there's a whole multiple components to, you know, the three work. I mean, there's, you know, a big social media piece, um, traditional media piece, um, you know, marketing piece. And so there's a lot of different, uh, 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 you know, work streams have got to be brought together. So we're kind of all marching and, and running towards the same, the same launch launching pad. So, um, it's exciting. It's really, really cool. Um, and working with really bright people, which is always to me, um, at the end of the day, no matter what you do in work, um, it's the people that you work with that matter. Um, do you think they're good people? Are you intellectually challenged by the people? Um, can you, can you laugh? And a lot of times laughing is gallows humor sometimes when things are really intense. Um, but to me, it's that, you know, you spend a lot of time at work and you spend too much time at work to not a love what you're doing and b really enjoy the people that you're working with. And if you don't, um, then that's, that's not good. And, and so you, you know, you got to find that the, the, the key is to find the, the right place where you love the work and you think it's the right mix of people. And if you find that, and I've been, very fortunate in my life to have found it a couple times, um, then you, uh, you've been blessed greatly. That pod was longer than a normal pod, but candidly, I could have done it for hours. Lisa is such a great person, has, has such unbelievable experiences. It's fun listening to her, hear her story, her storytelling, and what she's done in the past and what she's going to do in the future. She will continue to thrive, no doubt about it. She is one smart woman. Again, follow Luminary Media. This startup is hitting the market very soon, and I am sure they're going to put together a ton of great premium content for the listening audience. I hope everyone has a great day. I'll see you all at Skippers real soon. I hope to have a beer with Lisa at Skippers in the not-too-distant future. Take care.